Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Adam Dorsey, a psychologist in Silicon Valley and the host of Super Psyched, a podcast dedicated to supercharging your life. Each episode contains fun, high-quality interviews with experts looking at psychology from all angles. Super Psyched is your tool to get more of what you want in your life and less of what you don't. How many of us just wish that we could think faster and talk smarter? I'm going to take a guess that pretty much all of us would like that skill. And that is why I believe that my guest, Stanford Business School lecturer, author, coach, and podcaster, Matt Abrahams, has something to teach us all. Matt is the author of two books, including his most recent, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. I love this book, really liked Matt, and have good reason to believe you will as well. He's very popular among Stanford business students where he received the prestigious Alumni Teaching Award in recognition of his teaching students around the world. So let's get ready to boost our skills as Matt shares his secrets of thinking faster and talking smarter. Matt Abrahams, a hearty welcome to Super Psyched. Thank you so much. I am excited to be here. I love Think Faster, Talk Smarter. It just flew off the page and you stand behind what you actually wrote. It's so much fun and so edifying. I want to go right into the anxiety that we feel as public speakers. Let's just go right to the heart of it. Jerry Seinfeld once famously said that we'd rather be the guy in the coffin than the guy giving the eulogy. We fear public speaking so much we'd rather die is one of the common statistics cited. So I'm just wondering if you could talk about disidentifying with it and reframing it in the way that you've done in such a good way. You were you talk about mistakes as missed takes rather than mistakes. You talk about disidentifying and reframing the entire idea of public speaking. Tell me the framework that helps most people get rid of the fear. Adam, it's not about getting rid of the fear. It's managing the fear. I and others who study this believe that our fear is innate. It's part of who we are. It's part of being human. And it's really about learning to manage that fear. And when we do that, we have to take a two-pronged approach. We have to manage both symptoms and sources. So the symptoms are the things that we physiologically feel mentally go through. I don't know about you. I get red and I perspire when I get nervous. What happens for you when you get nervous speaking? My heart starts beating fast and I go through this process cognitively of, wow, I'm about to make a complete moron out of myself. I doubt that is true. But that's what I think. Right. And you can talk about that in just a moment. But yes, that's very normal and natural. So speaking in front of others, either planned or spontaneous, and the book is all about spontaneous speaking, is we get nervous and, and invoke the fight or flight response and everything that we experience as a result of that. And there are things we can do to manage those symptoms. As you well know, deep breathing is really important. What's interesting is the exhalation is what's really where the magic happens. So you want your exhale to be twice as long as your inhale. And you really want to focus on giving yourself just a few moments to take those breaths. It doesn't take a lot to do that. If you're like me and you blush and perspire, that's because your core body temperature is going up, your heart's beating faster, and your body's tensing. So your blood pressure is increasing. It's like when you exercise. So cooling yourself down helps. I always hold something cold in the palms of my hand to reduce my core body temperature. If on a cold morning you've ever held warm coffee, 
in a cup, it, it warms you up. We're doing the same thing in reverse. So there are many tricks that you can follow to help reduce the physical symptoms of anxiety. My first book, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, was all about how to manage the anxiety that we go through. There are also sources, though. So those are just symptoms. Sources are the things that initiate and exacerbate our anxiety. So the big one that I'd like to talk a lot about is our goal. Many of us are made nervous because of the goal we're trying to achieve. Whenever you communicate, you have a goal. My students want to get a good grade. The entrepreneurs I coach want to get funding. You might want an uptake on a project. All of those are about future states. And the way to manage anxiety about a potential negative future outcome is to become present-oriented. I am sure you are well-versed in mindfulness and flow. And if we can get ourselves into that state, we are no longer nervous about the future. So you can do this in lots of ways. Do something physical. Before you and I hit record on this, we are having a lovely conversation. That gets me very present-oriented. Mm-hmm. I have to talk to people before I present. Sometimes you can do what an athlete does. Listen to a song or a playlist. Start at 100 and count backwards by 17s. That'll get you present-oriented. Then the last thing I'll say is saying tongue twisters. I say tongue twisters all the time to help me get present-oriented. Not only does it get me in the present moment, it warms up my voice. Most communicators don't warm up their voice. If you're an athlete or, or you exercise, you know you should warm up. We need to do the same thing when we exercise. Oh, I love these tips yeah. so much. And I'm just going to give a biological basis for why the exhale is so important. It really activates the parasympathetic nervous system, whereas the inhale activates the sympathetic or fight and flight. So what I've done when I've had to give a rendering of my blood pressure, when they put the cuff on me at the hospital, and I've been trying to find a parking spot, and I've just been navigating traffic on the way over, I make sure I do the long exhale that you talked about. And even the Navy SEALs have taken notice of this idea. And the idea of cold in your hand may be just one of the smartest things I've heard in some time. One of the anti-anxiety drugs that seems to work is one that works on nerve pain. It's gabapentin. It's got an off-label use. And similarly, it puts our body in a state that reduces anxiety. To the point of anxiety, I really want to get into something that you call an AMP, an anxiety management plan. And yours is three letters, ARC. I was wondering if you could first off say, what is an anxiety management plan? And how can the listeners formulate their own beautiful initials of their own? I believe that having something that we know is tried and tested can really help build confidence, just knowing that it exists. And I'm going to tell you a quick story. I was in the San Francisco airport once. This is right after my first book came out. And they announced my name over the speaker. My seat had to be moved or something. And I come back and this guy comes up to me and goes, you're the guy who wrote that book on speaking anxiety. And I said, yes, that's, that's right. Read the book. He goes, I didn't read it, but I bought it. And it helped me. And I'm like, what? So you didn't read it, but it helped you. I said, tell me more. And he said, just knowing that a book on anxiety around speaking existed made me feel better because I have always felt like I was the only one who had this anxiety. And I know you didn't write the book just for me. And the reason I'm telling you this story is... A lot of us feel isolated and alone when it comes to anxiety because we see these other people who who speak well. The reality is they're nervous too. The chances are, though, that they've learned techniques to help them manage that anxiety. And that's what initiated this anxiety management plan. It is an acronym, something that you can easily remember that are techniques that are tried and true for you. So there are many, many techniques you can use. You know, Adam, as a therapist, not everything you say to every person works. Everybody's different. You have to find the mix of behavioral techniques that work for people. So my plan, what I do is really four things. The first thing I do 
is I take deep belly breaths. I breathe. The second thing that I do is I hold something cold in my hand. I say tongue twisters. I've already shared those with you. The fourth thing I do is cognitive. And I remind myself that before I speak, I have value to bring. It is often the case that when you are asked to present in a meeting or somebody asks you a question, they are asking you because you have some value, some information that is useful to them. And if you remind yourself of that, it can turn down the volume on the negative self-talk that we have when we go into these situations like, I should have prepared more. I can't believe I'm doing this and that person's not doing it. So we can turn that volume down by just reminding ourselves that there is value that we have to bring into these situations. So I encourage everybody to find techniques that work for them. In the books I've written, they're very specific itemized techniques. You pr- try them out and then you create an acronym that works for you. So I'd like to actually do one right now. I'd like to create an acronym with you. You have ARC, and which stands for? ARC stands for Acknowledge Anxiety. So many of us, when we feel anxious, we resist it and we push it away. And coming from mindfulness is this notion of you accept what you're feeling. So you say, this is me feeling nervous. It makes sense that I'm nervous. I'm about to do something that's important. Most people would feel nervous in this circumstance. The R is about respiration, deep breathing. Take that deep breath. And then the C for me is cool yourself down. Hold something cool in the palms of your hand. That's brilliant. So let's see if you and I together, as if you were my speaking coach, came up with three letters for me. We've already discussed my heartbeat goes fast. I worry that I'm going to seem stupid. What would what might you throw my direction and say, hey, consider these three letters? I don't know that we're going to come up with three, but let's try. So the first would be something that has to do with breathing. So breath will slow down that heart rate. You know that as well. The feeling stupid, this is really about being judged and evaluated. And there's something in psychology called the spotlight effect. We all feel that we're in the spotlight and people are always looking at us. The reality is we're not. Most people are so busy focused on their own spotlight, they're not paying attention to you. So I would encourage you to put your attention outside of yourself. So when you're thinking about feeling stupid, think about something of value that you're bringing or the the connection that you can have with somebody else. So something that puts you other focused rather than self-focused. And I've got got my ARC now. Okay, what is it? BCP does not stand for Bellarmine College Prep, but in this case, it stands for Breathe, Connect, and Presence. That's good. So BCP, I like it. Which is better than PCB, <laughs> which would really amp you up. But yeah, see, and that's what it's that's what it's about. So it's about thinking about where is your source of anxiety, what comes up for you when you're anxious, and then it's about finding techniques that help you address it. So what you just went through, Adam, is what I recommend everybody do. Now the next step is to try it out. So the next time you speak, you try those things, and hopefully all three will work maybe one or two won't. And then you go back to the drawing board, but now you have more information. So I tell my students when we do this in my class, that your initial anxiety management plan is a hypothesis, a set of hypotheses, and you go test them. And then you decide, did they work or not? And just like any good experimentalist, you make adjustments until you get the protocol right. So it's an incremental process. But I have former students, people I've coached who are using their plans for decades. I I just had somebody two weeks ago write former student about five, six years ago, his grandmother passed away and he was asked to do the eulogy. And he wrote me to say that even though it was very hard for him to do, the anxiety management plan from the class years ago helped him get through it. So this, these are things you can carry with you to help you. That's brilliant. And a couple of things I want to comment on from just a few minutes ago that you spoke to. First off, in the MLB, the Major League Baseball teams yeah. all have a walk-on song for their batters. When a batter shows up at home, not away, 
They get a walk-on song to bring out their best. And I think we are called to do that ourselves. If we're about to speak, maybe listen to a walk-on song. I had my son do this before he speaks and he's chosen his walk-on song. I've got mine. Tell me yours. I'm glad to tell you it's Can't Hold Us by Mac Lamore. Is that ding, 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 ding. Yeah, yeah, no, I know the song. I love well. that hook. And that's my walk-on song. I'm not necessarily. So I have two. What's yours? I have, so I've got the Eminem song about pressure, oh. where mom's spaghetti, which obviously fits what I do. And then the other is Led Zeppelin's communication breakdown. That's so, hilarious. So those are the two songs I walk on to, with the idea being that when you're done listening to me, both of those will hopefully not be true for you. That is really, really funny. And that's kind of like your Stroop test that you talk about yeah. at one point in the book, almost doing the opposite for cognitive flexibility. First off, can you share? Many listeners don't know what a Stroop test is, but let's talk about that for a second because you're actually proposing the opposite in kind of a cheeky manner, communication breakdown. You're all about communication uh, <laughs> and not about its breakdown. Let's talk about how the Stroop test works and how it might actually make us better at speaking by causing our brain to say something that it is not actually happening. Right. So the Stroop test is it's a fun test and it works for almost every person. So here's what it is. So imagine you are looking at a list of words, and these words all describe colors. And your job is to read the colors that are written out loud. It actually helps people if the color that is written is actually printed in the color it is. So when you see red, it says red, and you say red. When it's blue, it looks blue, and you say blue. What is amazingly challenging for people is that when you see a color, written the word red, but it is actually in the color blue. So you see a blue red. And what happens is that is cognitive overload for people because you're getting two different streams of information in simultaneously, the name of the the color and then the color itself. And it is very hard for us to disentangle that. So when people are asked to read lists of colors, the ones that are color congruent, the word and the color are the same, People read very effortlessly, and we can time how long it takes them to do that. When you switch the color with the word, so it's discongruent, it's not congruent, people take a lot longer, and they make more mistakes. And I use this as an example of what happens when we burden ourselves cognitively when we communicate. And we do this all the time, not with silly colors, but with our judgment, our evaluation, all of the chatter that we have in our head that gets in the way. And if we can turn the volume down on that chatter, we can actually do better. So Adam, I'm I'm sure get a laugh at this, but I tell my Stanford MBA, some of the best, brightest young minds, business minds in the world, I start my very first class by talking about maximizing mediocrity. That's what we want to do in the classes, maximize mediocrity. And my Stanford students' jaws drop. They've never been told to be mediocre. But here's the logic. It's the Stroop test. When you are putting pressure on yourself to say it right, to do perfectly, it actually increases the cognitive bandwidth that you have to actually say anything at all. So when I say maximize mediocrity, I'm saying just give yourself permission to get through it. Just say what needs to be said. Just answer the question. Just give the feedback. Just make the small talk. And in so doing, you free up the cognitive bandwidth so that you can focus on doing it well. So I end that very first class by saying maximize mediocrity so you can achieve greatness. So the Stroop test is just a really quick test to demonstrate to people how cognitive interference increases the bandwidth we need to do the task 
which makes it hard for us. So if we can reduce that dissonance, it helps. Your students are so fortunate to have you as their <laughs> instructor. That's just incredible. Uh, they don't always feel midterm <laughs> right now. I'm not sure they would say that, but thank you. Uh, well, to your point, many of us, when we're going through a thing, don't enjoy that thing. But when we look back on the thing, we are so yeah. glad we did that thing. Yes. Let's go. Heard you say the expression just to your point a second ago before I go into my next question is dare to be dull, and which I think is so funny. Book is just fantastic. I highly endorse that everyone read your book. One last thought, and that is sometimes the title of a book can change people's lives. I have never read Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers, but the fact that someone wrote that book made me feel less alone with the fact that I need to feel the fear and do it anyway. And so much of what you're endorsing is exactly that. Which leads me to the next question, which is about improv. You and I are both devotees of improv. I spent two years studying it. You spent even longer. You really have geeked out with some of the great improv people. And it seems that a major vein of gold that runs through this entire book are the principles of improv themselves. Let's talk about improv and how it can help people with their public speaking efforts. Well, thank you. And the dare to be dull directly comes from the world of improvisation. So I have been very fortunate to get to know and teach with some just amazing Bay Area improvisers. Adam Tobin is a dear friend. Mm. He and I have taught a class together for a long time. He's a screenwriter at Stanford, teaches screenwriting, and is a master improviser. Dan Klein, Patricia Ryan Madsen. I am not very good at improv, but I love challenging myself to do it. Improvisation is not about being funny. Even though we see it on TV and we go to improv shows where people are very funny, improv is about how to be in the moment, be responsive, collaborate, and connect. And they have wonderful maxims that if you follow their guidance can really help. Yes, and is what everybody has heard of, but dare to be dull is another one. One of my favorite, when I teach listening, I talk about this, it's don't just do something, stand there. (laughs) And in communication, that's a really important is to just be present. So improv can be really helpful. And it's an, it's a way of accessing in a safe, playful way, some really important lessons. So this methodology that's in the new book, Six Steps, many of the six steps, I use improv games as a way of coaxing people into having experiences that they can then think about. So can I wax poetic for a second? A hundred percent. Going back to the Stroop test and, and how we cognitive burden ourselves Adam Tobin, my friend and colleague, introduced me to this game called Shout the Wrong Name. It's a really simple game. (laughs) You just point at things and you call them different names. It is incredibly hard for people to do it because we're inducing that cognitive interference. We're putting color in, in a different color, the word color in a different color. And I came upon a student. This is how this is a learning moment. The student was pointing at a chair and nothing was coming out of his mouth. So as a teacher, you're like, this is strange. So I went up, I said, what's going on? And he said to me, I was not being wrong enough. Now, I want you to think about this. My <laughs> only, the only requirement is call it the wrong name. I did not give a rubric of wrongness. And yet in his mind, he was saying he wasn't wrong enough. And I said, tell me more. He said, well, I was going to call the chair a cat, but a cat has four legs and a chair has four legs. And sometimes a cat sits on a chair. Do you see the cognitive machinations that he is going through when all he had to do was say cat or yellow or car? And he could have said anything. We all do this all the time. But by playing that silly improv game, it illuminated for him and unlocked for him this whole mentor conversation that he is saying that really, really caused interference. 
That's why I like improv so much. It's a fun way to get ourselves out of being bunched up. And I think that is such an important thing for us to learn. I remember one of my bosses who said to me, Adam, he rarely gave me any compliments. So this was like, I think the only compliment he ever gave me. And it was, Adam, you know when to use a Ferrari versus when to use a truck. You don't use a Ferrari for everything. Sometimes you just need an old beat up truck. And that is something I've carried with me. This is more than 20 years ago that I heard this. The understanding of calling a cat or a chair a cat is good enough. I mean, I could tear it apart and say, well, cat and chair share two letters. And therefore, they are still not good and they've got four legs. But the fact of the matter is, did it matter if Steph Curry made a beautiful basket or just a basket that somehow hit the rim and got in? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It matters that it got in. You can make a really clever shot that kind of connects or a not so clever shot that does. And I think we get so caught up with being clever and individualistic and memorable that we forget to actually do the job. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in the book, I talk about that. One of the notions of improv is we want everything we do to be incredibly valuable and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do it. But a lot of the time, we just need to do something. Just do what's needed. That's another maxim from improv. Do what's needed. In the book, I talk about cathedrals versus bricks. We all want to have our communication to be a beautiful cathedral. But often, what's most important is you just lay a brick, and then another brick, and then another brick. And at the end, you have a cathedral. So if we strive always to do that one perfect thing, that gets in the way of just getting done what needs to happen. So very true. Great. Before I ask my last question, I'm going to ask you this. You talk about a really cool structure, and that is what, so what, and now Mm -hmm. what? I think this may be one of the most important algorithms in communication I have ever heard. I was wondering if you could speak to that. Well, thank you for that. The book has two parts. The first part is a six-step methodology. We've been talking about some of the steps. The second part is taking very specific spontaneous speaking situations, like answering questions, giving feedback, making small talk, introducing yourself and others, and give specific advice and guidance around that. The first six steps in the methodology, four of them are about mindset and approach. And then the last two are about how you actually craft messages in the moment. And the key to crafting messages in the moment is structure. Many of us, when we're put under pressure, just rattle off information. We list, we itemize. Our brains are not designed to take in that information, nor does our brain desire lists of information. (laughs) Bullets kill. Don't kill your audience with bullet points. So. The question becomes, what do we do otherwise? Well, we use a structure. A structure has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Many people talk about story. What's your story? What's your narrative? I believe that's very important, but a story and a narrative are nothing more than a logical connection of ideas. It's a structure. There are many structures. The one I like a lot and use the most is the one you highlighted. Three simple questions. What? So what? Now what? What is your idea, your belief, your product, your service, your feedback? The so what is why is it important to the person you're talking to? So relevance is key. And then finally, what comes next? Let me show you a demonstration. Let's set up an appointment. Sign on the dotted line. Ask me your questions. So we can use this in myriad ways. Imagine you have to go to an update meeting. Many people have to provide updates. Your update is the what. It's the status. The so what is why is it important? And the now what is what's coming next? Or if you ask me, Adam, for feedback, I could say, my feedback is the what? You know, in that meeting you were in, you did a great job, but you spoke a little quickly and you didn't give as much detail on this one part when you talked about implementing the plan. That's my what? When you speak quickly without giving the detail, people think you're not prepared or you're nervous. That's the so what? Next time you talk about the implementation plan, slow down and add these two bits of two examples. 
That's the now what. So the structure gives you the recipe for what you're saying. And in the moment, having a recipe can really help. I don't know about you, but I'm a lousy cook. I cook better when I use a recipe because it helps me do it more efficiently and it packages it up so other people can enjoy it more. And I love the what, so what. Now, we're not going to get into apologies, but you even address apologies. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Molly Howes, who wrote the book called A Good Apology. And you talk about just how bad a bad apology is to our ears. And even a good apology involves a what, so what, now what algorithm, but you're going to need to read the book to find out what we're talking about here. So I'm going to go to my final magical question for you, Matt Abrams. If you had the magical power to confer upon all humanity one insight or skill that would improve the lives of the individuals and perhaps even society at large, what would that insight or skill be? And how do you imagine it would impact the individual as well as perhaps society at large? What a lofty question. Indeed. Uh, I fundamentally believe that all of us have important things to share and contribute in our personal lives, in our social lives, in our global lives. And so working to make ourselves, help ourselves be more confident is critical. And so my advice is that we can do things that will help us feel more comfortable and confident in our communication so that our voices can be heard in part of the ongoing conversation that makes life fulfilling, makes life better, and can ultimately help all of us improve. So to me, it all comes down to working on becoming more comfortable and confident in communication so that we can contribute to the global conversation. I love that one. And I also want to just echo something in terms of the psychological relevance of this. One of the keys for depression and anxiety is our inability to assert ourselves. When we squander our abilities to share what's inside or squash it or quash it, maybe even a better word, it's depressing and it's anxiety exacerbating. So your wish for people to actually act on, be yourself, everyone else is taken, is such a good one. And through that medium of communication, what you're doing with your gifts is incredible. And what you're sharing is so important, Matt. Thrilled that you've written this book as a follow-up to your last. And I'm just so grateful that you've shared your wisdom with my listeners. Adam, it was a true pleasure not only to have this conversation, but to get to know you. It is amazing to me the connections you and I have. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, it was a blast. This is Dr. Adam Dorsey thanking you for listening to Super Psyched. If you know anyone who might like it or who might benefit from listening, share it. And if you like the episode, please hit subscribe.